Technology, intelligence, data. Today we live in a world that's more connected and more transformative than ever before. Our devices are helping us complete tasks at a faster pace and with more precision than we could have ever imagined just a few years ago. But as our lives in the physical and digital worlds become more intertwined, how can we be sure that the algorithms are always on our side? And how can we safeguard technology to ensure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands? In this series, we'll be meeting the experts, the technologists, entrepreneurs and activists to ask them some of those important questions and to champion the people using tech as a force for good for all. This is Our Lives Plus Tech from Nominate Trust, the UK's leading investor of social tech and the people behind NT100, a global campaign that celebrates the people and organisations who are using tech to change the world for the better. I'm Ada Paris, and in today's episode, we'll be exploring the idea of the bionic person, integrating technology with the human body. I always describe it like I have this canvas now, which is an empty space for as much technology as I could kind of put there. It's what people think about is like augmenting their bodies and rebuilding bodies. And I offer myself to technology now. I'm just thinking, how can we bring technology to more people? Coming up, we'll be hearing how a life-changing accident set James Young on a mission to explore the cutting-edge world of bionics. Using his own body as a canvas for technology and research, James has become an advocate and test subject for a number of groundbreaking projects. Later, we'll be hearing his thoughts on the future for amputees, as well as how he's earned the nickname Metal Gear Man along the way. But for now, in the studio, a warm welcome to my guest for this episode, an expert in the field of bionics, founder and CSO of Cambridge Bio Augmentation Systems, Oliver Armitage. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Bionics is a massive field with lots of different component parts, part prosthetics, part robotics, neuroscience, surgery, programming, engineering. Where do you come into that? So the company I founded, CBAS, we focus on neural interfaces. So we enable the connection between the human body and advanced bionics. And that's through implanted medical devices that allow people to have direct control over their bionics day to day. OK, and for the purpose of this episode, we're going to be focusing mostly on bionics for amputees. Can you just give me a little insight into how you got into this area? I think like many sort of technology enthusiasts, I've been fascinated by bionics and people connected to machines from an early age. When I was sort of about 15 or 16, I hurt my thumb and I had this like great idea that I was like, why can I not just replace my thumb or sort of augment it in some way such that it's better? And pretty much since that point, I've wanted to work on enabling advanced bionics to be a technology that exists in the world. And so I sort of did engineering as an undergraduate and focused on some relevant research for my graduate work um, and then founded CBUS. So to be clear, you're dealing with two very specific things. Firstly, creating standardised implants that can be used to connect bionic limbs to the human skeleton. And secondly, standardised software that can be used to connect the human nervous system to control these machines. That sounds amazing. So to me, I think of bionics as any device which is sort of connected and actively interacting with your body as a piece of engineering. So I would say some of the first bionics were things like pacemakers. And bionics for amputees are then a subset of that. When it comes to working on bionics for amputees, the 
hardest part of that problem is not necessarily the limb itself, but it's how you connect it to and control it by the body. And so that's what CBAS focuses on. CBAS started with the aim of creating sort of the open standard connector for a bionic limb. And that open standard encompasses, as you said, both the physical implant that just connects it to your skeleton and makes it comfortable and part of you, and the electrical software connection, which is connecting to your nervous system and is allowing you to think about moving your hand and for your bionic hand to respond accordingly. Amazing. I so many questions around especially that that side of things but before we dive in perhaps you could set up what the current situation is like for someone who needs a prosthetic limb today especially given the context of why your work is so important maybe start with what is currently available on the nhs top of the range available on sort of the nhs right now is you can get a myoelectric hand so myoelectric means muscle controlled okay um that is probably has sort of two channels of control. So you can probably open and close a hand mm -hmm. grip and you might be also be able to change the grip. So you might be able to change it from a point gesture to a full fist. And those are done through external muscle sensors, so little sticky pads that you put on the outside of your residual limb. Um, one of those you could get through the NHS, potentially. You would probably get it if you were a military patient or you could purchase it yourself. But even that is not widespread. And what type of cost would you be looking at? Myoelectric limbs from the big manufacturers. You're talking into the tens of thousands of pounds. Wow. There are some companies who now who are starting to do sort of open source, low cost myoelectric hands that are coming down into the sort of, you know, one or two thousand pounds range. But they're 3D printed and they're really sort of developing and getting there. So to summarise, there is a big problem. Being able to plug in a new robotic arm and live again like normal is a distant dream for a lot of people. But actually at CBAS, what you're doing is you're going further than that. You're actually looking at the idea of skeletal implants. So why is that such a big game-changing idea? So having a skeletally connected implant, which you plug your prosthetic into, is something that really just changes the quality of life of an amputee hugely. There's about 900 patients in the world who have lower leg skeletal implants for their limbs. Now, these aren't ones with electrical nervous system connections through them. They're just a mechanical, physical connection. But for those patients, it massively changes their quality of life because it removes the pain of walking. It means you don't have this socket, which is this sort of like carbon fibre cup that you put over the end of your limb so you're not feeling all the pressure through your skin and it's being directly transferred to your skeleton and the other big thing it does is it gives people this feeling which is known in the field as osseoperception so you know feeling through your bone when you push it, your hand yeah. against a wall you feel not the, just the pressure on your fingertips but you feel it through your skeleton and so you get that same ability once you've connected your prosthesis to your skeleton rather than just sort of strapping it onto your skin that's fascinating so why don't we take a look at what CBAS is actually developing? Could you talk to me a little bit more about some of the stuff that you're working on? So CBAS is making, as we said, a bone-connected implant that's also connected to your nerves to allow you to control a bionic limb. And so that implant has an, obviously an implanted component, so part that goes into your bone, sort of like a hip implant would or a knee replacement, and that provides the mechanical connection. That comes out through your skin, and we've developed some ways of making sure that doesn't get infected so that you can have that safely. And then additionally to that, you have connection to your nerves, and those wires are then coming out through the implant to the outside world. So on the outside of that implant, which are outside the body, 
you can then have a physical standardized connector. And we think of that as like the USB port for Bionics. Um, what the USB port has done for computing is it's sort of, you know, standardized the shape, size, and also the electrical connections that you have between one device and another device. And so if one device is the body and the other device is your Bionic limb, we're making that standardized connector on the outside of that so that you can plug on any limb device that you like. For example? So right now, each limb has to be custom built onto your socket by your sort of local hospital. And if you want a new limb, you need to go back to them, buy it through them, and then have it fitted to your specific device. When you have a modular connector, you can connect any type of arm you like. You could have an arm that you use for daily use, and then you could have an arm that you wear while doing sports or an arm that you wear while wanting to play the piano. It's entirely modular, and you could have multiple devices that you replace at will. So where are you at now in terms of trying in some of this? So we're developing and doing our safety testing around that implant system. We've had a number of prototypes and we'll be doing our sort of first in human clinical usage with sort of around 10 patients, hopefully late next year. Wow. That must be exciting after all the work that you've done in the research. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, when we've got 10 patients in the wild running around using our implants every day um, and showing what's possible, I think and that's going to be a really exciting time and uh, there's a lot of work to do to get there, but I'm yeah. really excited about it. Well, good luck. Good luck with all of that. So standardisation, as you've explained, is really important. Will it also mean that it will bring the cost down to make it more widely available? Of course. We've already shown that we can provide these implants cheaper than the current care for an amputee. And in doing so, you make the device market, the sort of the bionic limb market, much more accessible. It makes it considerably easier for someone to make a limb with advanced functionality. I'd say every couple of months I learn about or meet someone who's running a new project to develop a new type of upper limb. And those people are great. And I just really want to enable those people so that the devices they're making and where they're having innovation actually has access to a good signal from the body so that people can control them well. So to enable a sort of a fully controllable bionic through an open standard connector, you have to be able to read the signal running down the nerve, and then you have to be able to interpret it. So we take industry standard little electrodes, which go on the surgeons put in and they attach them to the nerves when they're putting the implant in. And then we develop sort of brand new machine learning in order to process those signals and to understand them because signals from the nervous system are very complex and very high bandwidth and very messy. And so you're trying to extract as much as you can from them. And um, there's a lot of ways you can do that and a lot of a lot of people in the world working on those kinds of problems and in doing so sort of the field as a whole gets better. I love the fact that you have all these different ideas of different modes of technology coming together to create these life-changing devices. You're right there's loads of research groups out there in the world who are pushing each of these areas but to be able to make connection for bionic limbs a mass market solution so that not just one or two amputees, but every amputee can have an advanced bionic connection. You need to bring all of those technologies, which are each in sort of disparate fields together into one device and embody that. And that's what we do. We try and do the engineering so we can bring a device together that can be fitted by any surgeon in the world and the patient can get up and just start going. And that is about unifying a large number of technologies from very different fields. You're acting essentially as the conduit doing that through bringing these different technologies together. Yeah. That's fascinating. So 
Talking about, you know, prosthetics, Open Bionics is another one of the NT100 featured projects. They're also funded by the Nominate Trust, who currently produce 3D printed bionic limbs. As an example, would they be somebody that you would work with? Yeah, so um, Open Bionics, as they were the people I mentioned earlier, making lower cost 3D printed hands. And um, someone like Open Bionics, we sort of have worked with previously and would look to attach their hand to our standard connector so that their hand could have much better range of motion and control beyond what it can achieve with only sort of a two-channel muscle signal. As we're talking about bionics in today's episode, I think it's really important to get some opinions and experiences from someone whose quality of life depends on this type of technology. So I want to hand over now to filmmaker and presenter James Young. My name is James Young. I am a TV presenter who's starting out in the tech and humanity field. The way technology and social and human aspects interplay with each other, how we build technology that we want, and also how the technology in return changes us. I've been interested in technology since birth. <laughs> I don't know. Basically, yeah, my dad used to build and deconstruct computers, so I began having sort of a really curious mind about what's going on inside all these tiny chips and things. And since then, I mean, as a kid, I really loved Horrible Science, the books, just fascinating. It led me to study biological sciences at the University of Birmingham, which is really cool. And I just, I don't know, I'm just really fascinated. I almost studied at Reading University to study cybernetics. And this is before my current situation, which is that I've lost two limbs, like in 2012, basically. So I lost my lower left leg and my upper right, uh, upper left arm. <laughs> I don't know why it's hard to remember these things. So yeah, it's, that's been a sort of weird new position I've been put in by my mistakes of falling under a train. So yeah, I kind of have this weird, I, I always describe it like I have this canvas now, which is an empty space for as much technology as I could put there. It's what people think about is like augmenting their bodies and rebuilding bodies and I offer myself to technology now. I'm just thinking, how can I help push forward the human integration with technology or even just explore it? Kind of immediately after I had my accident, I was focused on getting back to full health, get done with hospital and just be the person I was before. And I was kind of disappointed, really, that the truth of the matter is that when you go to the NHS and say, I need to walk, they make you walk. It's great. They give you the things you need to walk, but really that's quite it. And it's very low tech and it's quite utilitarian in that they have so many limbs to fit that they can't really offer anything funky, basically. The first arm I had was like this peachy nightmare, which was patented in 1812, the design for it. And it just blows your mind because it, it, it's why are we using these kind of hooks and pulleys and all this kind of system? It's now 200 years old. We should, could surely do better. And if it's a problem with cost, why don't we just focus on this and figure out how to even reduce the cost? How can we bring technology to more people? I had this thought where I was thinking that I wanted to explore what my limbs could be. What color does it want to be? What material does it want to be? And part of that came about from seeing this pamphlet which was in my prosthetics fitting center 
it was called the Alternative Limb Project, and they basically construct limbs of different shapes and sizes and designs for the individual to kind of bring what's most human about them, like their internal personality, their loves and desires, and embodies it in a prosthetic piece of art, basically. And I kept looking back at this project, this Alternative Limb Project, because I kind of looked at that longingly and just wistfully in my days, looking at my peachy nightmare of a prosthetic arm, thinking, wow, this is me with my bashed-up Vauxhall Corsa looking at Ferraris, like it's something that's really unobtainable but beautiful. But I went on the website one day and they had a form that said, we're looking for an amputee video gamer. And I jumped on it because that is what I was at that stage, recovering from my accident. I basically was just playing video games like off my face on painkillers of completed games that I don't even know I played. But um, I won the opportunity to have an arm built and to create my own limb that represented my own personality. So this project was funded by a video game company, Konami, and they have created the Metal Gear Solid franchise of games and were looking to do a promotional event because they had a new game coming out that had the protagonist, Snake, who uses a fictitious bionic arm. That whole experience from start to finish, I was involved with it and got to choose concept art. And like we just created little brainstorming boards of all these different components and designs that I'd love to include. And it was an amazing adventure. It actually gave me something to focus on during my recovery as well. And there's a documentary about it called Body Hack Metal Gear Man, which is on, on YouTube. The arm itself was big and beautiful. It has a kind of gold sheen paint job, which is actually a Toyota car paint. The majority of it is actually carbon fiber. But the nature of it as a prototype means that it's actually rather heavy because there's a lot of little metal pieces and bits and bobs and even just like a glue, strong epoxy to keep it together in some places. So it kind of ended up being more artistic than functional, especially because we also were really excited to work with Open Varnix, who basically at the time were prototyping 3D printed hands. They're making available their first medically approved 3D printed bionic hand right now. And it's, it's an incredible amount of progress that they've made since my arm was built just a few years ago. But yeah, the problem was that basically it was a prototype and a lot of it fell apart with the usage. It was kind of built as a nice delicate piece of art and then I wished it would work really functionally. And that kind of made me focus on my own body and think, okay, so now I have something that looks astonishingly cool. It's like straight out of science fiction, but I really do need some limbs here that work, to be honest. It's given me a taste of exploring that I could actually rebuild this side of my body. So yeah, it kind of made me think of these new technologies that have started to be applied to amputees with missing limbs, basically. And one of these is osseointegration. And that's where you implant a titanium anchor into somebody's residual bone. And it allows you, it kind of sticks through the skin like an open wound. So it's got its drawbacks but it allows you to kind of lift and move and control your prosthetic, how nature intended in a weird way, because it's linked to your skeleton, which is just like the force generator for your body. So some of that has really piqued my curiosity and I kind of fundraise for it now to try and think about the long-term plan where this technology will reach a point where I want to have it. 
other technologies are to do with the way that we control existing bionic arms. There's bionic arms that are out there that are commercial products. You could get them off the shelf, they work. But one of the main problems that amputees have is that there isn't really sufficient ways for you to get what you want to happen in your brain to happen in a piece of technology like a bionic hand. And so there are people exploring ways to get stuff in your brain. There's been historically experiments where you'd lay an electrode array on the actual cortex, like the outside of someone's brain, but inside of their skull. So you have to saw it open, put the electrodes in, even have a plug socket like the Matrix. And it's this is something that's been done. But it's that even that is like, oh, now you have an infection risk into your brain, which is the most precious thing of all. So yeah, it's not really super safe. The other way that we're looking at it, I say we, I'm looking with curiosity, but people basically try and sense nerves rather than the brain. So with me, for example, I've had a procedure called targeted muscle reinnovation. Targeted muscle reinnovation is basically taking the nerves that went to a limb that's now missing because they're just severed and doing nothing, kind of causing pain even potentially, and moving them, literally slicing open the skin, grabbing the nerves, putting them somewhere else, and kind of attaching them to areas of muscle that aren't super critical. You might say that every muscle is critical, but there's trade-offs here. <laughs> uh, my left chest wall muscles basically have now been segmented into little pieces and the little nerves that went towards my hand have been embedded into different segments. So now, when I think about closing, opening my hand, turning my wrist, lifting my elbow, little segments of muscle around my chest wall will tense up. You kind of end up getting the signal from the nerves, but you're amplifying them to a level in which they can be perceived by technology and electrodes with reliability, because it's just a big, chunky muscle signal. It seems really basic in a way, but that's the best thing that we can really do at the moment because we need that level of meaningful, reliable data, especially when you're trying to control something like a hand. I mean, that's the dream really, is to, to grab your arm off the table and like click it in to your implant and like the data and the power goes into your body and you just have this like innate connection that works really well. It's kind of on the horizon. It just needs to be turned into a kind of reliable product package, really, like something that's proven to be effective. Thank you so much to James Young. If you want to delve deeper into his story, I suggest you check out the BBC Three documentary Body Hacking Metal Gear Man, which is available on YouTube. So now back in the studio with Oliver Armitage from Cambridge Bioaugmentation Systems, also known as CBAS. So Oliver, James is clearly a very special guy on a mission to improve his own life, but also spread the idea of bionics. And he's become a spokesperson for that. I know that you've done some work with him and your, your friends. Tell us about that. I mean, James, you're right, is a very inspirational person. I think the way he has chosen to interpret his injury and the accident that happened to him and sort of the way he's turned that into a positive thing that he's going to do with his life is very inspirational and it makes him a really really enjoyable person to work with and just to be around as well it's important for us to have 
the input of the people that are going to use our technology. And so we consider it key to work with amputees, to work with doctors, to work with the families of people that care for amputees in order to fully understand exactly the problems that they face day to day and make sure that we can address as many of those as possible in the devices that we make. So we've done a lot of work with James just, you know, really finding out exactly what it is that he wants and what it is that um, he needs to do. And obviously then it's our job to filter out whether or not he wants, you know, LEDs on his arm or whether he actually wants some hand functionality. But that's a, that's a direct conversation <laughs> with James. That's a personal style choice. Yeah. <laughs> So James spoke firstly about the importance of having prosthetics that look good and make you feel good, um, with reference to the arm that was built for him, you know, the flashing lights, the gold. But looking into the future, it's clear that James's main concern is that he's constantly making decisions around his capabilities, and he's currently fundraising for his own titanium implants. Now, for some reason, my brain goes to Wolverine and adamantium. But he's begun the process of relocating nerves to parts of the body where the signals can be amplified and control the robotic elements. How far is he off? How far would you say James is off from having a fully functional arm? James is obviously doing really great work and uh, as a spokesperson for the field, but also just, you know, striving to improve himself and uh, get back to a level of functionality lost and go beyond that to the extent that he can. The real barriers in the way of doing that are the ability for him to have some kind of connector to the inside of his body. And so, as you've mentioned, he is funding for some titanium implants. The ones that he's potentially fundraising for at the moment are some of the ones that don't necessarily have the nervous system connection, but do have the mechanical connection. The ones with the nervous system connection aren't yet available until CBAS gets to our sort of first in human trials. From now through to James having completely full functionality, he needs to get those kinds of implants. Um, and as a field, we need to develop more of those. But also, we need to do a lot of work in sensation and proprioception. Patients need to be able to not just feel from their limb, but they need to be able to have a sense of, is the hand open or closed without them looking at it? They need to be, you, you can tell me right now whether your hand that's on your leg is opened or closed. But James can't do that with a bionic hand and no patient can. And so the motion moving your hand around is a is one problem that is very difficult. And then the sensation problem is even more difficult than that. So for James to get back to full functionality or to, you know, augment that functionality, add to it, do something completely different as well. We need to really solve the proprioception problem. So it's a long process, but it's not entirely impossible? It's definitely not impossible, um, and we will get there. Things that allow him to have connections direct to his nervous system rather than surface muscle connections are some of the first things that need to happen. And then from there, people can build new limbs off of that open standard connector, which allow him to upgrade his connection without needing surgery. So what can we do to try and accelerate some of this technology? And I don't just mean we, but you can put a call out there. What needs to happen? In order to really progress this field, obviously, um, we need more money and people working on it. There's definitely more investment needed in the space. And I think that it's great that things like Open Bionics are getting funded to develop the end devices. But there's a huge amount of work in just funding the interface and making the interface work well that is going to be required. And I think there's a lot of people who've been interested in bionics at a young age and they think about it when they go to university and they're not really sure what they should be doing but i think if they spent their time becoming sort of material scientists that that would be fantastic because they could work on tissue connections for electrodes and those kinds of things and also people who work 
on not just the sort of the machine learning control problem, because that is uh, reasonably well represented at the moment, but really people who get into the weeds of electronics and computing required to enable that inside the body, because that's a whole a whole new area of research that is in its sort of nascent stages at the moment. And so there's there's great things for people to work on in that field that aren't just thinking about sort of the what I would call the sexy problem. Yeah. So I know that James has a few other thoughts on this. So let's head back to James Young. It's really difficult with technology to do with artificial limbs to try and get enough people's energy behind finding solutions. Because at the end of the day, it's a narrow customer base, if you think about it. And really, that's what limits us. And that's really what limits the cost behind stuff like purchasing an elbow that has a motor in it like the one that i'd need to to control a hand with tmr just the elbow that lifts up and down is sixty thousand pounds and that that's just not reachable for so many people without some crazy insurance policy that they have set up in the us or whatever like no no one's going to be given that in the uk so yeah i kind of wish there was a way in which research for amputees and artificial limbs, it would have more impacts for the kind of global community in general, because I feel like if they, sadly, if people thought that they could get something out of it themselves, more people would be looking into it. And it's kind of the truth. I, I think, do we need excited people who want to think about the future of like transhumanism and how we're going to change with our bodies and and realise that these are the first steps to try and create even like a connector for the for the body where you can attach bionic limb or not even a bionic limb. It could be just like a little wireless adapter that allows you to control some satellite in orbit. Like you feel like you're there or something, like whatever. I don't know. Is there a way to kind of get more people behind this technology? So Oliver, do you agree with James that transhumanism is maybe a way to get more people interested in bionics? Transhumanism is a huge field that encompasses far more than just bionic limbs or bionic devices of any type. You know, it includes tattoos and RFID tags and all kinds of things, far beyond that as well, but I could even imagine of right now. And the transhumanist movement could start to ignite, ignite some like public interest in bionic limbs um, for augmentation. But I actually think that the way this field gets to the point of being mass available and being the standard of care for every patient is that we prove these technologies in treating the millions of people who have medical conditions that can be treated with them. And that includes amputees, but it also includes people with diabetes. Think of advanced pacemakers that would control your diabetes or can allow you to avoid your bladder when you're thinking about it because you have urinary incontinence. There's a huge number of medical conditions we can treat with neurally connected bionic devices. I think elective augmentation is not something that is, uh, you know, ethically around at the moment. And I don't think it will be until we've made neurally connected bionics the standard of care medically, because we can show all of the great things it can do to really help patients. And once we've done that, then maybe there is a conversation to be had about what people want to choose to do purely by choice. But there's a, a huge number of medical conditions we can address first. So before we get to the idea of superhuman powers and, you know, the bionic people, it's diabetes, as you mentioned, yeah. you know, pacemakers and all of that. Yeah. That's 
Exactly. There are um, obviously there are millions of patients in the world with pacemakers, which I would consider a bionic device. There's a, sort of a few hundred thousand patients with bionic implants for controlling their pain by stimulating their spinal cord. There's sort of around 30,000 patients with brain implants for controlling their epileptic seizures and their tremors from Parkinson's. And all those kinds of areas are going to grow massively before we really start to see elective augmentation for enabling, you know, these kind of cyborg, superhuman things that um, people like to talk about. So small steps, small yeah. steps, but we'll get there. There's a lot of steps between now yeah. and, you know, full brain machine interfaces. My my head is buzzing from all of this. And I know that I'm going to have to go away and do some more research and all of this. But thank you so much. So we're nearly out of time for this podcast today. But before we go, could you tell me what's next for CBAS? So the big next steps for CBAS are kind of twofold, getting other people to work with our implant and with other data sets that we create, allowing them to enhance their research and enhance their products by using the standards that we're starting to put together and put out. And then following that is us doing our first inhuman use of our implant for amputee patients. Um, when we have those first 10 patients running around, those patients will have the absolute best standard of care. And that will really show the way for what can be done. And what are you most excited about? I'm most excited about the innovation that engineers all over the world will be able to take up once there is an open standard for connecting an amputated limb. Engineering is a field built on standards. It only works because I can buy a bolt in one country and a nut in another country and put them together and know that they fit. I don't have to solve every problem. I don't have to resolve nuts and bolts every time I want to build a car. And so by standardizing the connection to the body, you allow you know, an undergraduate project where someone could build a limb which has advanced functionality. And at that point, people will build limbs that I can't even think of or I can't even theorize about what the best limb would be. And that's what's really exciting is when all those people are enabled to use their creativity to solve these problems. What an inspiring way, what an inspiring thought to close today's podcast. Oliver, where can we find out more about CBAS? People can find out more about CBAS at our website, which is cbas.global or at cbioorgsystems on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. It's been fascinating. Thanks, Ada. And thanks, James, for sharing his story as well. So, yes, I also want to say a big thanks to James Young. You can find him on Twitter at James A. H. Young. And to explore other global projects transforming lives with tech, like those featured in today's podcast, head to the Nominate Trust website. That's nominatetrust.org.uk. There you'll find more on the NT100 campaign, including our report, Transforming Lives with Tech, a global conversation sharing insights from five years of NT100 projects and emerging social tech trends for 2018. So please do let us know what you think of this podcast. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. We'll be back in two weeks' time. But until then, Ada Paris, sign now. Goodbye. Thank you.